From the Financial Times in London, I'm Polita Clark, Environment Correspondent, and this is FT News. The UK should embrace the power of the sea and spend billions of pounds on a novel form of electricity generation, the tidal lagoon, according to a new report. With me to discuss this exciting idea of the UK becoming the Saudi Arabia of the tides is Natalie Thomas, UK energy correspondent, who wrote about the report last week. Jonathan Ford, the FT's city editor, who thinks tidal lagoons sound like a shocking waste of money. And Jonathan Guthrie, head of the FT's Lex column, who likes the idea. Natalie, what's this all about? This is about a 320 megawatt project that has been proposed in Swansea Bay by a private company called Tidal Lagoon Power. And they hope that the Swansea Bay project will be a pilot for five much larger tidal schemes around the UK. The 320 megawatt project, the company says, could provide power for 155,000 homes for the next 120 years. Well, that sounds quite reasonable, but the 320 megawatts is not that much, is it? No. Again, it would be a pilot project for five much larger projects around the UK, in particular one in Cardiff, which would be, I think, the first large-scale project that the company would like to proceed with. And they hope that this will also prove a testbed for other tidal lagoons elsewhere in the world. They're hoping to export the know-how and the technology. And what is the price tag likely to be? The build cost has been estimated, the most recent estimate is £1.3 billion. The true cost is a moot point. It will have to be subsidised by government and commercial negotiations between tidal lagoon power and the government have yet to be concluded. But the suggestion is that it might just be as little as the price of a pint of milk for consumers. Well, Charles Hendry, who's just finished and published an independent review into that technology, has concluded that, yes, over 30 years, it could cost an additional 30p per household per year, which he believes is relatively good value compared to other forms of technology such as offshore wind and nuclear. Well, Jonathan Ford... It sounds pretty good to me. I mean, it's a great way to cut carbon emissions. We're talking about 30p a year. It's not very much. What's your problem with it? Well, I just take issue quickly with the 30p. I mean, this is, to my mind, a bit of a classic bad statistic in the sense that you take what you described as a very small power plant, which produces, I don't know, 0.2 or something percent of the power consumed in the UK, and you spread the cost right across all the households in the United Kingdom. Unsurprisingly, you come out with what seems like a rather small number, but it doesn't mean that no money is being wasted here. The way I look at it is, I think that Britain has obviously embarked on a process of looking at carbon-free generation, renewables. There is a limited amount of money to spend on all of this new technology. This is another potential source of supply which has popped up seeking to tout its wares to the taxpayer. And we should all be aware that the cost of these things is ultimately going to come back in the form of customer bills. I feel that we've already committed to a number of technologies which have the potential at least to become more productive over time. I'm very sceptical about the idea of just adding in a new one. First of all, I'm not convinced, to be honest, that the prices that they talk about in the document that's just been published really reflect the true price of this technology. But but if they were, would you be more amenable to the idea? Not really, is the answer, partly because, I mean, this is not really a totally new technology. We're talking here about building a kind of barrage or a dam to hold in a lagoon, which is hardly rocket science, and marine turbines, which once again are pretty established technology. And if you go through this document, you find Hendry himself is really struggling to find very big gains to come in efficiency or technology over time. 
the thing that people lean on as a sort of example of why you should go ahead with this kind of thing is even if it's a bit costly until the UK consume, it's fine because we'll flog lots overseas. I'm totally unpersuaded that we will. Well, Jonathan Guthrie, you have been persuaded after listening to that. Why? Well, I think that Jonathan's column that he has written about this makes some very, very good points. For example, the pint of milk is not a really reliable figure because it leaves out the cost to business and business generation and so forth. But I have to say that your column made me feel incredibly depressed and also really, really old because (laughs) this is exactly the kind of thinking that you get from people in government and in media repeatedly in Britain, which is the sense that we can't change anything and we can't do anything new. You describe this as a costly and unproven technology. In its time, the locomotive engine and the car and the flintlock musket were all costly and unproven technologies. And I think you have to sometimes take a punt on the future. And I think this is a new project, by the way. There are actually no real tidal lagoon power projects anywhere in the world. And I think the fundamental difficulty with some of your argument is that this is essentially a pilot scheme. This is a relatively small lagoon that they do near Swansea. I think that the single project risk of this is actually quite small and that we live in a country with a large coastline and the second highest tidal range anywhere in the world, I think this is something that we should embrace. The point about the flintlock and the railway engine where they were ways of doing things which hadn't been done before, it is quite clear that we have various options with which we can generate power and indeed there are lots of contending power sources. If you want to look at renewables, I mean you could argue, and many will, that onshore wind, photovoltaic solar are considerably better value than this particular thing. Are they really though? I mean don't you have to take into account the natural advantages that the UK has, which is one reason that it has already become the Saudi Arabia of offshore wind, you know, and basically having as much capacity at one point than the rest of the world combined, incredibly. And that's because we have relatively shallow waters where there's very strong winds. So we also have this incredible tidal range that Jonathan's mentioned. So doesn't it actually make sense that if we are going to be spending money on renewables, we do it when it's relating to projects that there is a a, a natural geographical advantage? Here's the thing, right? Basically, we've got to look at the scale of this technology and its ability to really change things in any meaningful way. Henry looks at other sites apart from Swansea Bay, some of which are quite large, and no doubt there are others out there. Collectively, they have an enormous installed capacity of, uh, I don't know, nearly 20,000 gigawatts. So it looks enormous. But because the productivity of this technology is relatively low, we're talking about 20% sort of load factor, the actual energy production Mm. you get from this whopping great thing. And remember, these things are enormous. You know, I think the Bridgewater Way one has got a 30-kilometre seawall, is about the same as Hinkley Point. Now, the problem with that is when you look at the relative cost, the capital cost of building those enormous lagoons is, according to Henry again, £53 billion. Now, we're already bulking at the cost of Hinkley, which is £18 I mean, I appreciate that we want to get cracking on the uh, energy version of the rocket here, but (laughs) how much money do we really want to fling at building seawalls around the UK? You will know, as well as I do, Jonathan, the question is... What period you depreciate a capital investment over? And in this case, it could well be several hundred years. You're essentially talking about building a wall or a breakwater. I think Hadrian's Wall, you can probably still see quite a lot of it from space. 
So the reality is that if you create these lagoons, you may need to patch them up from time to time because the sea is pretty hostile. You may need to stick in new generators, but these are going to be here for hundreds and hundreds of years. Thanks for introducing me to the concept of depreciation. But let me introduce you to the concept of opportunity cost, which is the number of gas stations you could build for that amount of money is phenomenal. Yes, but they, they have much higher carbon emissions, that you would agree. But Jonathan Ford does have a point, Jonathan Guthrie, when it comes to load factors, surely. Yeah, I think that's true. But at the same time, you also have a form of green energy, which does not have the intermittency that is a problem for winds and for the sun, because you know when the tides are going to happen. And you can also store water and use it to generate electricity at times when electricity is relatively expensive. Speaking of green energy and green things in general, Natalie, some of the projects that have been mooted in the past in relation to tidal energy have drawn criticism from environmental groups who say actually they're not that green because they can have an impact on fish and birds. What's the situation with the Swansea Lagoon? Well, largely environment groups have been supportive. The one group that has been fairly lukewarm has been the RSPB. From what I understand, they're not going to stand in the way of the Swansea Bay pilot, but they do want to see what will happen. And Hendry himself has in fact said that there should be a pause of at least a year to examine both the ecological effects but also the financial ramifications of that pilot before pressing ahead with any of the larger scale projects elsewhere in the UK. OK, well, is it actually likely to happen? The report is with the government. Henry has urged the government to press ahead with the pilot project, but really the decision comes up to whether they are willing to provide the level of subsidy over the period of time that is required for tidal lagoon technology. Well, we await with interest to see what happens. Thank you all very much for contributing today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.